Chapter 5 of The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ruth Maston. The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 5. Bianca. But by this time, the Italian woman, Nanina, had joined the little group. Both Nona and Sonia observed that she seemed oddly disturbed. Nevertheless, she bowed respectfully to Sonia. This is my daughter's room, she began half sullenly and half apologetically. I thought it would not matter if people looking over the house would not see this one room. I intended to tell you it was not to be shown to visitors. You may think it strange that my daughter should be living in this part of the house now that the mistress and the masters are no longer at home, but this has been her room always. The Dona Elisabetta, having no daughter of her own, treated my child almost as if she were her own. All the while this explanation was taking place, Nona found her eyes turning from the figure of the Italian peasant woman to the girl. To Nona, she appeared like a child. She was so small and delicately made, and her manner was so timid and appealing. Really, the idea that the girl could be this gaunt, fierce woman's daughter seemed ridiculously like a fairy story, the story of some lovely princess being hidden away by a bad fairy. Bianca. Will you show the ladies down to the piazza? I will bring them tea in a few moments, Nanina added in a perfectly matter-of-fact tone the next moment when Sonia had apologized for her own impulsive action. Then the two girls found their way to the piazza together, while the two older women lingered for the further discussion of the renting of the villa. Nona felt a little nervous over what she and her unexpected acquaintance could have to say to each other. As she was so much the older, it seemed that the responsibility ought to be hers— Moreover, Bianca, whose first name was all she at present knew, was evidently too shy to take the initiative. However, Nona was mistaken. Even if the younger girl were shy, she had been too well brought up not to do whatever was proper. She led Nona to a little collection of chairs at one end of the piazza overlooking the terraced garden. She pointed out the best view, asked her guest if she were fatigued by her drive, and then sat with her hands folded in her lap, as if she considered her duty entirely accomplished. Nona felt both interested and amused by her companion. She could scarcely imagine an American girl with so much manner and at the same time so little. It was exactly as if Bianca had rehearsed a part, which she played as prettily as she knew how, but as if her real self were hidden. Had she not been so pretty, and the conditions of her life so unusual, Nona could not decide that she would not have been annoyed by her. American girls, above all other things, like other girls to be natural. They can even forgive their being crude and making mistakes so long as they are honest and genuine. But Bianca was a kind of puzzle. One could not understand her personality easily. It is very pleasant to find you speak English so well. We Americans are dreadfully stupid about foreign languages, Nona volunteered by way of making conversation. The Italian girl's lip parted. She had small, perfect white teeth. Oh, she returned politely, that cannot be true. We are always told that the American girl is the cleverest and the most charming in the whole world. I speak English because the Dona Elisabetta was also an American woman. She taught us to speak her language from the time we were tiny children. It occurred to Nona to wonder why the Italian girl spoke of us and of we. 
Then she remembered that Bianca probably included the two Italian boys with whom she had grown up in a peculiar relation. It must have been as if they were the little Italian girl's brothers, and at the same time were no relation to her. Nona had a sudden vision of how hard the future might be for a girl as pretty as this one, and brought up in the queer way she must have been. "'You are nursing the wounded Italian soldiers, are you not?' Bianca asked suddenly. "'We Italians were so surprised at first by the American ladies coming over to help us.' You see, in Italy, before this present war began, the Italian ladies did not nurse the sick. They left nursing to the peasants and to the Sisters of Charity. But now, since the English and the Americans and the French ladies have assisted in the care of the wounded, the Italian ladies are also working for them. I have told my mother this, for I wish I could be allowed to help. Oh, you are too young, Nona answered good-naturedly and condescendingly. Naturally, after two years of Red Cross nursing, she had a somewhat superior attitude toward any suggestion of amateur nursing, knowing, as she now did, just what expert care and skill the wounded soldiers required, and how much they had suffered from the well-meant but unskillful efforts at the beginning of the war. "'I am not so young as you think,' the Italian girl returned. "'I am already sixteen. Most persons believe I am younger. Of course, I know I could not be a real Red Cross nurse,' But there must be some work I can do. I get very tired remaining always idle, unless I am at work with my music or books. You see, my mother will not allow me to help her. Nona had been permitting her mind to wander a little while the younger girl was talking. As a matter of fact, almost every girl she had met recently had confided her wish to become a Red Cross nurse, until Nona was weary of hearing of them. Some might be in earnest, but most of them could not imagine the sacrifices and dangers, and the being so deadly tired a good part of the time, that the business of nursing required. It was the romance, not the real work, which made the appeal. Now, Nona was not in the least interested in Bianca's expressed desire, but she was interested in the girl's own history, which her few words had unfolded. Evidently, the peasant woman was endeavoring to bring up her daughter to occupy a position entirely different from her own. Nona could not help wondering just why she desired this and how she expected to be successful. She would like to have known if there were any money for the girl's education, or if the friend who had been kind to her had made any plans for her future. But of course there was no way of finding out these things from a stranger, since good taste forbade when asking such intimate questions. Moreover, Nona did not feel that she understood enough of Italian society to appreciate how successful Nanina's efforts for her child might be. Even in the United States, Bianca might have a difficult time, although now and then a girl of unusual beauty or ability was able to accomplish almost anything she desired with sufficient earnestness. But did Bianca desire anything unusual for herself, or was the ambition only her mother's for her? Nona was again glancing at the younger girl more curiously than one ordinarily does toward a stranger, when suddenly she saw her expression change. A moment before she had been shy and serious, now her face flushed and she jumped up with unexpected animation. "'Gino and Paolo are coming,' she explained. "'They promised, if it were possible, they would come to see if the American ladies desire to rent the villa. You will pardon me.' Nona watched the little girl run lightly down the stone walk between the terraces, for Bianca was so small it was difficult to remember or to believe she was sixteen years old. At almost the same time, Nona also discovered two young men approaching. 
They were alike in appearance, one of them tall and slender, with the dark hair and the eyes and the well-cut features one expects in an Italian of gentle breeding. The other, who held his cap in his hand, had gold-brown hair and a small, closely trimmed beard. He was probably the older, although there did not appear to be much difference in the ages of the two brothers. But it was to him Bianca evidently addressed her story, and she came up to the house with her hand in his. Both young men were dressed in the khaki service uniforms of the Italian soldier, but Nona recognized that the older one of them was an aviator. Almost at once they walked up on the piazza to speak to her, Bianca having evidently explained her presence, and fortunately Sonia joined them while Bianca was introducing her two foster brothers. The older of the two men, whom Bianca called Gino, was the one to whom Nona felt attracted, although he was less handsome than his brother. But on closer observation, she saw that he had wide-open, warm, steel-gray eyes with a humorous expression. Also, his manner was friendly and charming. He and Sonia did the greater part of the talking. "'I am sure my brother and I shall be most happy to have two Americans occupy our home, if you are pleased. My mother was also an American, and we are therefore feel ourselves partly so,' he added, looking so unlike an American at the moment that Sonia smiled." "'But I am not an American, and although Miss Davis is, "'I'm afraid she is not going to live here with me, "'although she has promised to be with me whenever it is possible. "'You see, she has come to Italy to help with the nursing "'at the American Red Cross Hospital in Florence. "'Then one of us may some day have the good fortune "'to have you as a nurse,' the younger of the two young men interrupted. "'Bianca spoke to him as Paolo. "'He seemed to Nona to show more gallantry than common sense.' She shook her head in a disturbed fashion. "'I hope not. You see, I have been nursing since the early part of the present war, and I often wonder why nearly all soldiers speak so lightly of being wounded. I am afraid they don't know what we nurses do,' she turned to the older brother. "'You are an aviator, Signor Zoli.' But Paolo again interrupted. Either he was very talkative, or else he did not intend having the American girl's attention turned solely upon his brother.' Oh, Gino chose the air for his soldiering because it is the easiest job in Italy these days. You see, he is an artist when he is not a soldier, and, whatever he may tell you, he does not like roughing it. I wonder if you realize that the war between the Italian and Austrian soldiers is being fought at present in the Tarantino, in the highest altitude that the war has ever been known. Yes, said Paolo, belongs to the Alps Brigade, the Hunters of the Alps. "'Garibaldi's grandsons are in the same brigade,' the older brother answered, smiling with a kind of good-natured carelessness. It seemed to Nona that this good-natured carelessness was a marked characteristic of his. She noticed it in his manner toward Bianca, who, in spite of her reserve, did not fail to reveal her preference for him. He treated her as one might a younger sister, but showed her no special attention or affection. As a matter of fact, it seemed to be Paolo who was more interested and fonder of the little girl. Several times during the general conversation he would lean over and say something which was intended only for her. Once, when he supposed no one to be observing them, he drew out a little box and handed it to her. Later, Nona saw the girl's delicately fair cheeks flush as she opened the box and pinned a tiny spray of pink coral in her old-fashioned muslin dress. When Nanina finally appeared with the tea tray, Nona and Sonia were both interested to see how the little girl would behave, and if she would make any effort to her sister-mother. But Bianca behaved exactly as if she were the real daughter of the house. 
She took her place behind the tea table, serving the tea as only a well-brought-up foreign girl could. Whatever she wished, she asked Nanina for politely, but did not attempt to relieve her in any way. And the two young men seemed to take her attitude as entirely as a matter of course. They were evidently accustomed to having Bianca behave exactly as she did behave. Nona Davis was not at all sure that she liked or approved of the situation. On the way back to Florence, Sonia remarked carelessly, Oh, oh, Nona, I did not have the opportunity to tell you, but the Italian woman, Nanina, has promised to stay on at the Villa Felice as my housekeeper. It will be splendid for me to have someone who knows the neighborhood and the customs of the country. Besides, I suppose she would feel rather desolate to be turned out of a place in which she has lived so long. I spoke of her staying to the two seniors, and they appeared much relieved. I presume Nanina's future has been a problem for them. Nanina's future? I should think Bianca's future would be more serious, Nona answered a little irritably. I wonder, Sonia, if you have thought just what you will do having Bianca in the same house with you under the peculiar conditions in which she lives. Are you also going to adopt her as your daughter? There was no doubting the fact that Nona was jealous of the possible situation ahead. Not in the least did she enjoy the idea of Sonia's having another girl living with her, as she had been doing since their return from Russia. Moreover, Bianca was extraordinarily pretty and appealing. She was the gentle, exquisite type of girl for whom most people do a great deal under the impression that a girl of this character can do little except be lovely. Nona was too American to like this idea. But Sonia must have understood, for she put her arm about the younger girl. Don't be silly, Nona. Yes, Bianca may be a problem. I think I had scarcely thought of how much of a one she might be. I was so anxious to have the service of her mother. Still, there must be a plan of some kind for the girl's future. She cannot go on living as she has in the past. Now that I think of her, I really feel extremely sorry for the child. End of chapter 5